Well, hey, good morning. How we doing? Good? It's been a while since I've been here, and uh, just something cool as I look around, there are plenty of you that I just don't know. I've never seen you before. You've probably never seen me before, but my name's David. Uh, I'm on staff with Frontline and Center. I'm our teaching pastor. It's one of the only positions that we have that kind of floats back and forth between both campuses. So, Welcome. Excited that I'm here with you. Excited that I get to be here together uh, today. But man, we're going to jump in. We're going to have some fun. This is, I, I just love where we're going today. So I want to start. Uh, how many of you know what this picture is? What is this a picture of? Let's start there. Yell it out. Somebody. It's an MRI, right? An MRI. MRI actually has a cool story associated with it that I just started learning about um, this week. But the guy behind it, uh, is a guy named Doug Dietz. And so he works for this place called GE Healthcare and they kind of design MRIs. And so he was responsible for a couple different functions. But, but an MRI, if I just asked you this, are, are MRIs good or bad for you? Are they good or bad? Right, good, not a trick question. MRIs are good for you. They do something great. They see what's inside your body. They give you this dye that kind of goes through and they can see where there's issues and stuff inside your body. Well, Doug Dietz designed this and he was excited about it because it's gonna help a lot of people. But then what he actually saw and the effect that it would have, particularly on young kids, as they would come up, they would see you know, this room and it looks kind of like a scary room and, and they would see danger signs. It says danger and parents, you go over here and you know, watch out for the magnets, et cetera. And so kids were fearful and so he he actually, he writes this and he said he was so excited to see this like in action. And this is what happens. He says, I just finished designing a big MRI scanner. And as I showed up, I was at the hospital and I wanted to see it actually being showcased. I wanted to see it in operation. And so a young patient was coming into the MRI room to be scanned. And he said, these are his words. I see this young family coming down the hallway and I can tell as they get closer that the little girl is weeping. And as they get even closer to me, I notice that the father leans down and says to her, hey, remember, we talked about this. You can be brave. As they walked into the MRI suite, Dietz, the guy that designed it, had the chance to see the room for the first time through the little girl's eyes. He said everything was kind of like beige, he, de he described, calling what he, he describes as crime scene stickers all over. And he says the exclamation mark was the big warning sign on the door. And he said the room itself is kind of dark and has those flickering fluorescent lights. And he said the machine that I had designed basically looked like a brick with a hole in it. And it scared the very people that it was designed to help. I just, where we're going today, I just want to ask you this question. Are you ever afraid of something that is inherently good? for you? Is there ever something that exists in your life that, that you fear, yet you know it's good for you? You know you, know you need it. You know that it's, it's beneficial to you or to your health. We all fear, don't we? We all have different fears. We all feel fear. And so we decided, we came up with this really weird title called Sharks and Selfies. So how many of you, do you all know what Sharks and Selfies mean or, or why we decided on this? Some of you, some of you don't. I'm going to recap it. This doesn't make any sense in the world. Uh, sharks and Selfies. 51% of Americans are afraid of sharks, 38% to the point that they won't go swimming because of it. Right? They go to the ocean and they go, nope, I'll stay on shore. I've seen Jaws. I watch Shark Week. Shore's where I'm at. Right? That's plenty of people. 51%. How many millions and millions and millions of people say, I'm staying out of the water. I'm not interested. No, thank you. But this is what's crazy. Any guesses at how many shark attacks actually happen that result in a death every year in the United States? Any guesses? Yell it out. Five. Five? I heard one. What is it? Keep going. Ten? Four? You're on the right track. 
It's one. Who said one? Somebody up here? You are listening. All right. One person. One person a year actually gets attacked by a shark in the United States on average. And yet how many millions and millions and millions are scared of something that they're not really at risk of? Isn't it true that oftentimes we're afraid of things that we don't need to be? Well, here's where selfies comes into the mix. Why would we be afraid of selfies? Do any of you walk around in the mall and you see someone like pull their phone out and you go, no, you know, and you run and you hide and close the door and you lock it because you're like, dude, my life was on the line for a second. Any of you experience that sort of fear at the mall? Maybe just me? I'm kidding. It's not me. But we showed you some pictures, right, of people doing stupid stuff when they're taking a selfie. Right? People, my favorite one, I wish I had it here to show you, but it's a guy running, taking a selfie, doing that bull run that they do in Europe. You know what I'm talking about? And he's taking a selfie with the bull behind him, getting closer. And you go, that's why people die from selfies. 37 people a year on average die from taking a selfie. They die in a selfie-related accident. But how many of us would actually say, yes, I'm terrified of selfies? You see the point here? This is why we named it. Oftentimes we're afraid of things we shouldn't be and we're not afraid of the things that we should. And so where we're going today or what we're talking about is just this fear. We all have fear, but if I had to ask you, if it's just you and me in a room and I say, no one else knows this, you don't have to share this, but just allow yourself to get deep and introspective. What are you afraid of? Deep down, are you afraid of being alone for the rest of your life? Are you afraid of commitment? Are you afraid of maybe sin or your past catching up with you? Some of you, I mean, we just take it all the way down to the extreme. Some of you just fear death. I don't know what happens when I die. I'm scared of how I'm going to die. I'm scared of my health. I'm scared of losing someone. Maybe I'm scared of seeing God for the first time and knowing I'll be held accountable. What are you afraid of? Because we all feel fear, but what do you do with it? Do you master your fear? And do you speak to it? And do you put it in its rightful place? Or does sometimes it just feel like it owns you? That it just gets a grip and it controls you and it dictates and manipulates your behavior? I just want you to think about that fear. What is it that you're afraid of? Just think of one thing. I just want you to keep that in the back of your mind today. Because here's the thing. Fear often results in a couple things. It results in paralysis. I, 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 don't, I don't know what to do. I can't move. I don't know where to go. I don't know if I should take the job or I shouldn't. I don't know if we should do the medical procedure or not. I, I just don't know. I get paralyzed and I don't know what to do. Maybe it uh, affects relationships. Man, my fear of something, my fear of of this playing out, it affects my relationship with my wife or it affects my relationship with my kids or my parents or people at work or school. Let's keep going. Um, Maybe it it becomes like a, a consumption or like I'm obsessed with this. It's like this cloud, like the Charlie Brown cloud. Remember the kid that just always walks around with the fleas? What's his name? Pigpen, right? Maybe that's you. Your fear just follows you like flies in filth and you just, no matter what you do, you can't shake it. It's always there. It's always around. It's always on your mind. Or maybe this one, maybe it just results in anxiety or nerves or maybe even just like an insecurity. What is it that you're afraid of? This is why we're doing a series all about fear because the Bible actually has a ton to say about it. And today we're, we're talking about two things in particular. We're talking about fear as a general category. Anything that you're afraid of, the thing that I just asked you, what are you afraid of? Put it in this box. But then the other box, I want to separate one thing 
And it's, do you ever fear judgment day? Do you ever fear hell? And for honest, many of us have thought about that before. We've thought deeply. And uh, you guys remember like six months ago, um, the whole North Korea crisis with the U.S. and the relationships. And, and what, what was everybody afraid of? Just help me out. What, what, nuclear war. Everybody was afraid that they're going to shoot one off and then we're going to shoot one off and then somebody from the Middle East is going to shoot and it's just going to, it's going to go ballistic and the world, there's going to be nuclear effect everywhere. It was something, it was driving millions and millions of people in our world. Have you ever considered or contemplated the extent to which hell would be much worse? That often, you know, we fear things that we can see or we fear things that are temporary, but what about something that, that's forever? Total separation from God and total punishment. Do you ever fear that? Does that ever make you nervous? Here, this is what's so cool is where we're going today, um, we're going to be in the book of First John. If you have your Bible, I just want to invite you, pull out, pull out your Bible, pull out your phone, open up the Bible app, do whatever you want, but just stick with me. We're going to have words, but man, it's so much better when you can read it for yourself and you can read it also in context, but this is where we're going. We're going First John chapter 4, and we're going to start with verse 7, but here's the thing. John wrote this book. And two things he desires to accomplish. This is what we're talking about today. The first thing is this, that you would have confidence, that you would have boldness, that you would have understanding, that you, you would not have fear, but you would have confidence in approaching the day of judgment someday or in approaching death. You, you'd be so confident. There's no fear anywhere near you. Just, you're so confident. You know the truth. You know where you stand. You're good. And then the second one is this, that you would cast out fear. And just, I know the words are behind me. Brace yourself. I want to ask you one question. Could you imagine someone so bold and confident in anticipation of standing before God someday without a fear of any kind? Because that person would be unstoppable in the kingdom of God. So let's dive in. What's he say? First John chapter 4, verse 7. I know half of you already read this, so we'll read it together now. Verse 7, it says, Dear friends, let us, say it with me, Love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is, say it with me, love. God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for us. We're, there's like three parts to this. The first one is this, that you need to understand that we are so incredibly loved by God. That love, this thing called love that we're diving into today, love and its relationship with fear, love starts with God, that out of God comes love. God is love and invites us into a relationship with him that is love. Love and God, they're like synonyms. So let's go to the next part here. This is verse 11. It says, dear friends, since God loved us, we also ought to love who? One another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, 
God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And this, I just got to tell you, I got to be honest, in studying, this is confusing. When love is made complete, or another translation says, when love is perfected in us, it talks about this maturation, love that actually matures and results in something tangible, something that we experience on this side of death, that we experience in life. And so love, we can have love and yet it not yet be mature, that it not yet be complete. So what, what is a, a perfect love or a completed love? Let's keep reading. We're going to go one more section here. It says this, verse 13. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is, say it again, love. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete. This is our answer. This is what we want. This is what we desire to know. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. And before I move on from that, let that sink in for a second. That love made complete in us this is how we know, this is how we have confidence approaching judgment day or approaching death someday or even approaching any other fear that we have in life. In this world, we are like who? So, wow, very confident crowd. We are like who? Jesus. Jesus. What does that mean? What are the implications of us being like Jesus in the world? But we'll come back to that. Verse 18, there is no fear in love. But perfect love, complete love, whole love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. But the one who fears is not made perfect in love. Here's what I think a lot of us need to hear. We need a reminder sometimes that God, God is a God of judgment and he is a God of wrath and he set up a law and, and, and a scale that by ourselves we come up wanting every time. We're in debt. We owe due to our sin, due to our guilt, due to the decisions that we made, we come up wanting. But Jesus said that doesn't have to be the final word. That on the cross, I'll pay for that. I'll make the scales even again. I'll make it right. I'll shed my blood. And therefore, you're all good. You're righteous. But here's the thing. What God says and what we need a reminder of is this, that I am crazy about you. That I am so crazy about you. This is it. Regardless of your insecurities, regardless of your sin, regardless of your shame, regardless of your guilt, regardless of your shortcomings or your faults. And I even put this, regardless of your weirdness. Some of you are just weird or quirky. There's stuff at home you don't want anybody else to know about you. 
And God sees that, and here's the thing, God's not like repulsed by that, he's not put off by that. God says, I know exactly how I designed you, down to the very fiber of your being, and I'm crazy about you. And I love you. And I demonstrated it, this is what what John was just writing, I demonstrated it by taking what I loved most, my son, and I let him be killed for you. Not just all humanity, not just to right the wrongs of Adam and Eve, no, 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 I, I cared so much about you that I was so in love with you that I paid the ultimate sacrifice so that you know how much you are worth to me. Some of you, that's the only thing you just need to hear today. Just a reminder that the God of the universe who created the heavens and the earth and the animals and the trees and the oceans and all of it, the God of the universe is madly in love with you. You don't have to change. You don't have to adapt. You don't have to check your brain at the door. He just says, come as you are. I love you. And I proved that with my son, but let's keep going. Who desires us to experience this thing called perfect love. What is perfect love? What is completed love or whole love? And I love this. This is what he says. We're going to go 1 John 4.18. I highlighted it for you here. And it says this. There is no fear in love. But perfect love, this is what we desire. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Think back to what you're afraid of. Think back to the fear, to the thing that you hold on to or the thing that keeps you up. Whatever it is, the thing that you fear or are afraid of, here's what it often says. The fear that we have is often tied to things that we love. So I want you to think this through for a second. I'm afraid of being alone for the rest of my life. What is it that you love more than anything then? That you don't want to let go, that you don't want to lose? What, what does that say about your heart? You see where I'm going with this? What is it that you fear? I fear losing my house. I fear losing my job. I fear losing a loved one. I fear dying of cancer. I just fear death. What is it that you love that the fear comes out of? And here's what Jesus is saying. Here's what John is saying as he's quoting Jesus too. And Jesus says, perfect love. When you experience me in my wholeness, in who I am, your fear of everything else gets cast aside. It's like oil and water. Like, I wish I had that up here. You pour oil and you pour water, and what happens to the two? They separate. We can't coexist. You can't have perfected whole love and fear of anything. But why? We're going to get there in a second. But then he uses this thing called punishment, where he talks about punishment. How many of us approach punishment as like a um, you get what you deserve type? You know, relationships with other people or a spouse or at work or at school with kids or in family. Punishment is often associated with I have to pay for something because I did something else. Right? You have a bad attitude at work and you're punished because now you have to stay late. Or you were lippy at home with a parent and now you're grounded for a month. Anybody else? That happened to me a lot. 
punishment. Many of us fear punishment in our relationship with God. God, I know you're the only person that knows that I've done this or that I've thought this or that I've said this, and I'm scared of you. I remember when I was lippy at my mom growing up, she would threaten me and say, I'm going to tell your dad when he gets home. Wasn't a whole lot of fear there because he was at work. Ooh, scared. You know what I was most scared? When that car pulled in the driveway. I'm going outside for a week. How many of us treat God that way? You know, the number of stories even just since I've been a pastor of people that say, yeah, I kind of fell away from church or my relationship with God. Why? Probably because I started making decisions in my life that I started feeling this gap and this distance and I start knowing I'm kind of scared of what you're going to do. Are you going to punish me? Are you going to make me pay for this? Are you going to humiliate me? Are you going to shame me? And so a fear of punishment. What God is saying, he said, time out. Don't forget the first part that I am love. That I am, me and love are synonyms. You come just as you are and when you experience me, and my love in its fullness, that a fear of me and a fear of judgment day and a fear of anything else in life gets cast aside forever. Don't you want that? This is another cool thing that I just read this week too, but it said fear this is how like this works, or this is how these relate, that fear is actually the start of punishment. Let that sink in for a second, that, that when I am afraid of something, I am imposing my own punishment on myself. Because what God has said is, you don't have to be afraid, you don't have to fear, because judgment, remember the scales, in judgment day, as you come before God, you don't come on your own account, you come on Jesus' account, therefore anything else that you're afraid of is unfounded. There's no reason to be afraid of anything. What about my stuff? There's no reason. Life is just temporary, but, but, but life with me is eternal. What about, what about relationships or marriage? I'm, I'm your wholeness. Everything, every part of you, every part of joy comes from your relationship with me. What about, what about my ability to provide? Or what about my ability to work? Or what about what people think of me? God says, what about what I think of you? This stuff is just temporary and it changes all the time. It's this moving target. But me, I'm, I'm this rock, I'm this foundation. You can trust me. So fear, when we feel fear, it's when we give it power over us. Because fear and the effects of fear are the start of punishment. Isn't that wild? 1 John 4, 13 to 15. Let's just read this together. We just read this. This is how we know that we live in him, in God, and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son, Jesus, to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. Here's what He's saying. If you are mine, if when you come to me, I'm your Father and you are my child, you have nothing to fear. Ever. Fear of judgment day, fear of money or lack thereof, 
fear of relationships, fear of consequences, fear of sickness, even fear of death. What God is saying is when you experience me in, your, in, in my fullness, you won't fear anything. Because the worst fear, which is total separation from me for forever, has been accomplished. I've already, I've already paid that. So don't impose your own fear on yourself. And there's one more part of this, but to, to share this with you, I want to go, I don't have a slide for this, but if you have your Bible, turn with me. We're going to go to Luke 19. So open up your Bible, grab your phone. If you didn't do it yet, pull it out. Luke 19, and it's this guy, I love him. I'm going to tell you who it is, but you're going to tell me who it is. He is in a tree. Who is it? Zacchaeus, the wee little man. We're going to talk about the wee little man. I want to read this for you just as the narrative here. Just follow along with me. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. But here's the thing. Let me describe what a tax collector is to you so that we would understand it in today's terms. It's not just, yep, he works for the IRS and he comes and he collects taxes that are due. It would be as if the IRS came to someone in your neighborhood and recruited them and said, here's the thing. We want you to collect all the taxes from everybody in your neighborhood, all your friends, all your family. You know a lot of people. You're well-liked. We're going to choose you. And now you get all of the power of our government. You can do whatever you want. You can charge whatever you want. But we give you the amount that says you got to come up with this and anything above is gravy. That's just for you. You keep that. How would you feel about the neighbor in your neighborhood who sells themselves out to the IRS and then begins taking advantage of you and your family, charging you far more than you need to pay, and you know it's going straight to them. How would you feel about this person? Hold that thought. This is Zacchaeus. So Zacchaeus hears that Jesus is passing through. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, I love that it just says that, he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. How would you feel if you saw that neighbor sitting up at a tree? I'd grab a chainsaw, okay? I'd say, we're going to fix this problem, okay, right now. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly and all the people saw this and began to mutter. That's all of us. Now we're ticked because we watch Jesus and Jesus is doing these crazy, awesome, miraculous things and we want to follow him and we want to learn from him. Why is he talking to our neighbor that takes advantage of us? You know what he's caused to our family? You know the pain that he's brought? Do you know how much he's affected us? you know how much we owe because of him? He's ruined us. And Jesus calls him and says, come down. I'm going to your house. What would that do inside of you? I'd find another use for the chainsaw. I'm just saying. Guess we're going to Zacchaeus' house. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Verse 7, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner, of a traitor, of just a scoundrel. It's kind of like an old term, isn't it? Scoundrel. He's a dirty, rotten scoundrel. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay them back 
four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, and I want you to hear these words, and then we're going to unpack this. Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. He's saying he's included. He's been saved. He's been a part of the lineage that started with Abraham and led until now. He is included. He is a part of it. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. There's this verse that we read a little bit earlier, and it's this. It's 1 John 4. This is continuing after all of those verses we just read, and it says this, starting in 19. Perfect. We love because he first loved us. This is where what Jesus is talking about or what John is going to describe for us is that when we experience God in his fullness and when we experience his complete and whole and fulfilled love, it always manifests itself through how we treat other people. Let's keep reading. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. Whoever says, God, I'm so in love with you, you are it, you own my heart, um, but I'm terrified of other people, I'm terrified of death, I'm terrified of shame, I'm terrified of judgment, and you know what? I don't really care about the people around me because I got enough issues myself. And so I got to spend my life building up wealth and building up security and pursuing comfort and, and kind of building these walls that isolate me and protect me because I'm fearful because what if I lose it and these other people, either they're trying to take advantage of me or they're trying to steal it from me. I just, I keep them at bay. God is talking to the heart of those types of people, which are us, which are us. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love who? Our brother and sister. People around us. Our neighbors, our coworkers, peers, students, the people that God has us in, in the contexts that we are in, we have been commissioned to love people. And here's what this is saying. What John is saying is, if you want to get rid of fear, if you just want to give that away and say, God, please take this fear, fear of death or fear of relationship or fear of commitment or fear of finances, fear of health, whatever it is, whatever that fear is that you identify, if you say, God, please take it, please move into my life, please move into my heart and allow me to experience you, what he says is all of that fear will go. And with it, all the idols that we hold so true, idols of comfort, idols of wealth, idols of retirement, idols of cars and houses and whatever it is, all these idols and these things that we love get dismissed and cast out for the love, capital L, that we experience in God. That it shifts and it changes and you can see it as evidenced by how we treat other people. So what opposes perfect love? Fear. 
This is why we've done this whole Sharks and Selfies series, is fear is such a motivator in our culture and in our lives. Just turn on the TV or surf the web, or you know those little like ads at the bottom of a, of like a web page that you go to? What do they all say? It's like, fear, do this, click now, or this could happen, or if you miss it, this will happen, or, or watch you know, the news, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's fear, 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 and fear, they're trying to dictate our decisions, but God says, no, 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 no. With me, and when you have a relationship with me, fear gets cast out because you find your hope and your security in me, and I can't change. So I want to go back to this MRI story. A guy named Doug Dietz, I told you about him already. This is how we started. He designed an MRI to what? To help people, right? That was his goal. He wanted to help people. He wanted, wanted to provide this sort of medical technology that can result in so many lives being changed and cancers being treated and disorders being taken care of. And so he creates this, but then he sees it for the first time through the eyes of a little girl who's terrified of going in. And so he and the team, and they go back and they go, okay, guys, it's not just enough to like want to help people. It's not just enough to use our gifts for the benefit of other people. We need to take it to the next step and we need to love these other people. I mean, this is the thing that what they found too is all these kids that were coming in for MRIs, they would have to call the anesthesiologist who would come in and sedate the kids. The process would take longer. The kids would be on medication that they didn't need all because it was fear and they were driven by fear. And yet when love is employed, it comes up with something like this. So Doug and his crew come back and they say, what if, what if we can redesign the entire experience and we can make the child a hero in their own story? That we can invest in just this journey. We can add stuff like paint. We can add stuff like color. Go to the next one. We can put them on a journey and say, we're gonna send you to outer space and you're getting on the shuttle. And what totally changed in the hearts of these kids is what was once feared is now exciting. It's now an adventure. Then I realize I have nothing to be afraid of. I'm, I'm this hero in the story. Go to the, the third one. I love this one. This is a submarine. You're going exploring in the ocean. And I just love this story and I love the example because it talks about or illustrates so perfectly what a love for other people can translate to, especially in relationship to fear. Where's their fear in your context? Fear that can be cast out and destroyed by employing the use of love. Where is that in your own heart? One of my favorite things to say and to talk about every time I preach is Jesus. As we look at this cross, and as you look at the story of Jesus and you just imagine you're in the crowd and Jesus picks up his cross and he's dragging it and it's heavy and he's bloody and he's hot and he's exhausted and he's been beat up for no reason other than what I did. And he's in my place. And as you see him carry his cross and he gets nailed to it and he gets put up on the cross, what he's experiencing is the judgment of God that I deserve. And this thing that I feared of not being right with God for forever is now on display for the whole world to see. And I've been set free. And 
Jesus says, this place of misery and this place of pain and ultimately, think about this, the price that Jesus paid was not just death for us, but punishment. That he faced the wrath of God for me and for you. And what was once feared has now been completed in love. Jesus says, there's no other way I can demonstrate my love for you than right here and right now on this cross. And now when you experience that, and you experience the wholeness and the love that He has for you, go out in the world and show that same love for everybody else. You don't need to fear anything because the worst of it has already been paid for. Here's my question for you this week. Is there anything you're afraid of that identifies comfort and security in your life at the expense of loving other people? Some of you maybe need to sell some stuff at home to free up some money to just be able to bless people around you who are in need. Some of you need to free up your schedules. Some of you need to move in the direction of brokenness and broken relationships and bring peace and bring love and bring hope and bring restoration. A lot of us, in fact, all of us need to make some sort of change to move into the lives of people around us, not to bring fear, but to move into fear and to bring love because they can't exist at the same time. Where is that needed in your context? I'm just gonna pray for you right now, just for eyes to see your world, to see your life, to see your home, to see your work, to see your classroom, to see wherever it is that you go and whoever you talk to, to see through the lens that God sees. And in a world run by fear, my challenge to you is to bring love, to experience it first for yourself, but never as the final end, but as a means to an end as well. Can I pray for you? God, we just love you. Sometimes we just need a reminder of who you are and what you did for us on the cross. God, sometimes I think we've, we've so erred on the side of grace that we're just so grateful for who you are and what you've done for us, and yet we forget what we've done and what we did to put you on that cross. And so just today, Father, I just pray that, that if there's fear, if we've given fear a foothold in our lives or in our hearts, I pray that we would just give that to you right now. That just as we're talking to you, not just hearing me speak, but God, just as we take a second here to say, God, this is what I'm afraid of and I give that to you. Whatever that is, Father, hear from your people right now. And Father, I ask just as the text says, moving through your Holy Spirit, that you would move in us today. That we would experience you that we would hear from you saying, I have something better than what you're currently experiencing. Father, open our hearts and allow us to receive what you have for us today. And now, Father, I, I just pray for lenses as we go out into the world today, as we go home, as we be with people, or as we go to family, or whoever it is that we talk to, please, Father, let us not forget who you are. 
Let us not forget the love that we've experienced from you, but Father, give us eyes to see people who are hurting and broken around us who need your love. Allow us to be that love and the conduit through which you reach people in our context. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are love, that you can be trusted. Father, we pray all this in the precious name of your son, Jesus. And everybody said,